You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast, a political podcast from the News and Observer. I'm Colin Campbell from the NNO, and I'm here this week with uh, Will Doran of the NNO and PolitiFact North Carolina and Craig Jarvis of the NNO. We are now less than two weeks away from the election, and we are all counting down the days here until uh, all the the craziness is passed and uh, we can catch our breaths a little bit. Uh, Lots of visits from the presidential campaigns in the last week or so. We've had Michelle Obama here. We've had Bill Clinton here. We've had Hillary Clinton. We've had at least one Trump rally. Mike Pence has been around, and we've got Another busy week coming up on on that score as well. Um, I'm probably going to leave something out of this uh, roundup since I'm doing it uh, off the top of my head. But uh, Mike Pence uh, is in town Friday night. He's in Smithfield for a rally with uh, Pat McCrory down in Smithfield at a tobacco warehouse. I believe that's taking place as uh, we record this on Friday evening. He's sticking around Saturday for a rally in Jacksonville. Uh, Bill Clinton, I think, is going to be here uh, in Greensboro and Charlotte on Sunday. Tim Kaine, the vice presidential candidate for the Democrats, is in Sanford and Jacksonville on Monday. Uh, There is a Hillary Clinton campaign concert, I believe, on Tuesday in Raleigh featuring uh, Neo, who's a um, R&B singer who I'm not super familiar with, but I hear the young people these days are are really into his music. So hopefully uh, uh, they will be interested in in seeing that take place in the state. Uh, And then uh, President Barack Obama, I guess, is the big headliner for the Clinton campaign next week in Raleigh. He will be here Wednesday. Hillary Clinton herself coming sometime on Thursday to undisclosed so far location. And I would be willing to bet you money that Donald Trump holds a rally somewhere in the state at some point next week, although none has been scheduled at this time. So uh, that's kind of where we stand on the presidential race. I got to uh, get out there a little bit this week when Bill Clinton was doing his two-day bus tour of eastern North Carolina. He stopped in Rocky Mount and uh, Wilson and I think every city above a certain size uh, east of I-95. Some places he was giving his his standard stump speech um, as he hopped off the bus and others he was doing these informal stops uh, where it wasn't advertised. He just jumps off the bus and takes a stroll through, in this case uh, where I was at, uh, downtown Wilson. Went for about six or eight blocks through downtown Wilson, shaking the hand of seemingly anybody within like a two-block radius. The man is yeah, like you the, got you got a great picture of him reaching into a car to shake somebody's yeah, hand. Yeah, <laughs> if you look up my Twitter account, um, this, this was a funny one. Um, so he's walking down the street, and he's with uh, Congressman G.K. Butterfield and then former Governor Jim Hunt, both of whom are from Wilson, uh, and they're, you know, pointing out the sites and people are coming up to him and wanting to shake his hand. And then uh, Clinton's uh, media folks are trying to keep the press uh, at least a block down the street from him so that they're getting footage of, like, him walking towards them, but they're not getting too close to, to President Clinton. Uh, so as I'm being told, get back, get back, get back, I run around the side of this car uh, to get out of the way, and then I see Clinton lean into the car where some guy was just, I think he was on oxygen or something, so he was just, you know, hanging out in his car. Bill Clinton leans his head in the window and starts talking to the guy and shaking his hands. I happen to be on the opposite side of the car, and I've got an open car window on the passenger side, so I had my phone out, so I just started taking pictures, and uh, it's got this great picture of, you know, when you're hanging out in your car, and then suddenly a former president sticks his head in the 
uh, the window because uh, that's the thing that happens when uh, when Bill Clinton is out on the campaign trail uh, trying to, to do his uh, his retail politics thing, which you don't see quite as much anymore. Uh, most politicians like to be surrounded by their supporters as opposed to uh, random people on the street who, who might like them and who might not like them, depending on uh, their, their political persuasion. So uh, We've talked about that. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, you just don't see that kind of thing anymore uh, in terms of campaigning. They're not out on, on the street you know, we're having, meeting people. And we're having trouble, you know, we typically try to go to uh, events for the statewide candidates when they're out speaking to groups or, you know, making their stump speech. And it's been like pulling teeth this year just to get schedules of where they're going to be when. Uh, the Democrats uh, for, for Senate, for Governor Deborah Ross and Roy Cooper, most likely opportunity to see them is at the beginning of a Hillary Clinton rally of some sort uh, where they'll, they'll often be speaking. The uh, same for the Republicans, although Richard Burr doesn't spend a much time at Trump rallies. I think he may have gone to one. Pat McCrory has gone to a couple. But uh, other than that, the governor's out and about a lot, but he's in his official role as, uh, as the governor of North Carolina, uh, not necessarily in, in a campaign mode. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 if you're an undecided voter and you uh, like to go out of your way to see people in person and, uh, and make your decision that way, this is, this is really not your year, I think, uh, in that sense. But uh, I guess it tells you sort of the changing situation in politics that we – the focus a lot is, is on TV ads. I mean, all of the, the major statewide races have uh, millions and millions of dollars being spent by um, different outside groups, typically national groups uh, funded by uh, folks and organizations outside the state. Um, and then, of course, the uh, ubiquitous uh, campaign PR folks that, that we work with on a regular basis who are, are typically trying to uh, uh, suggest story ideas, uh, provide some information that makes the uh, the opponents look bad um, based on their record and, and getting news out there uh, that way about the race. But uh, certainly the, the, the changing face um, a little bit on that. Um, speaking of changing in politics, uh, this was an interesting week for House Bill 2. Um, one of the state representatives from here in Wake County, uh, Republican Chris Malone of Wake Forest, he's locked in a pretty tight race from all indications uh, up in the, the northern part of uh, Wake County, I think eastern Wake County a little bit as well. He had an interesting move this week uh, after uh, weeks of uh, not returning phone calls about um, where he stood on House Bill 2, as as several other key Republicans, uh, particularly from urban areas, had uh, changed their mind about House Bill 2 and were calling for repeal. Uh, He comes out and calls for a full repeal and for, uh, I believe, LGBT discrimination protections in a campaign mailer that went out this week, Uh, never Definitely formally announced, he explained that uh, the economic losses were getting to be too great, and he felt like upon contemplation, I guess after several months of contemplation since House Bill 2 was passed back in, in March, that he uh, believed that existing protections on the books were uh, adequate for keeping people safe uh, when they use the restroom. Uh, so that uh, prompted a lot of uh, interesting commentary and some aha moments from the uh, the Democrats who are looking to point to someone who's changing their mind. Uh, interesting aspect of it was the mailer was funded by the North Carolina Republican Party. Uh, they've sort of distanced themselves from the message saying, you know, they've got a wide range of, of views among Republican candidates um, and, of course, uh, Republican Party-funded mailers are, are pretty much par for the course because they can get uh, better, cheaper mailing rates than individual candidates. So they tend to funnel their money that way uh, so they can get better mailing rates. Um, but the Malone uh, race has definitely been one of the ones to watch uh, as far as legislative races this uh, year goes. And, well, you wrote a fact check this week um, about uh, Chris Malone and his opponent. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, I did. Actually, after after this HB2 mailer came up, um, 
actually found out about a uh, another mailer of his that uh, is more focused on uh, attacking his opponent, um, a, a, a Democrat, a lawyer from Wake Forest named Terrence Everett. Um, and this mailer says, you know, Terrence Everett raised taxes on clothing, on school supplies, even on baby diapers. So Terrence Everett is a state legislator, right, or was? No, no. no uh, <laughs> Terrence Everett has never held elected office before in his life. So that kind of made me stop when I saw that. I was like, huh, what's this about? And Did you know you, I didn't know you could raise taxes if you'd never been elected to anything like that. Well, that's standard. You and I could be raising taxes right now. Yeah, I don't like this guy already. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, what yeah. has he done? Turns out you can't. Um, and so we started looking into this more. Uh, and basically it turns out that this uh, mailer is referring to the Wake County transit bond that is coming up on Election Day. Uh, so we don't know if it has passed or not. Taxes may or may not be raised, and it depends on the voters who will also be at the same time voting for these candidates. Right, but in, in, I suppose, in Chris Malone's mind, he did not uh, respond to our request for comment, but I suppose he believes that this bond referendum has already passed. I don't know if that is a... A subtle endorsement by him? Probably not. I don't think he's in favor yeah, of it. Yeah, I think all the Republicans um, have been lobbying against that. If, yeah, if, if yeah. the signs outside my house or any indication on my way to work. Yeah, it's been a pretty controversial one. But um, and so we said, okay, well, this tax doesn't actually exist, but you know, maybe maybe there's something to it. So we kept looking, and it turns out that Malone's only involvement was that he was one of, I think it was 72 volunteers. So Everett got appointed to some committee? He, yeah, he was, I don't know if, yeah, volunteered, appointed um, to the Transit Advisory Committee, who they kind of, you know, took a look at some plans with the help of, you know, Wake County staffers. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a bunch of people from all over Wake County, all the different, you know, towns and things like that. And so they kind of, you know, looked at some plans and put together their favorite plan and, gave it to the county commissioners, who then county commissioners voted to let the people of Wake County vote on whether or not to raise taxes to fund this plan. So Everett's kind of two or three steps removed from any tax-raising decision anyways, and it hasn't happened. Um, so so his, his role in this is basically saying buses might be good, um, and then the county commissioner is saying, well, if we do that, then we'll need to do these sales taxes. But We'll let the voters decide as opposed to us deciding whether we're going to raise them or not. Exactly, exactly. And there's actually a state law that says if you if you are a large county, such as Wake County, you know, the way that you fund public transportation is through a half-cent sales tax increase. There's actually a 2000 law, 2007 yeah. law that said that. Fun fact, so. state law that was um, proposed by Deborah Ross, who's now running for U.S. Senate back when she was in the state house, um, she's getting heat for raising taxes uh, from, I think, Americans for Prosperity has been running some ads opposing her over her role in essentially, I mean, of course, she obviously was not directly raising taxes. It was more of an indirect thing because she was giving counties the power to give the voters the power to raise the voters' taxes if the voters chose to raise their taxes. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it gets very convoluted, yeah. <laughs> as you can but, tell. But in fairness, for in this Everett situation, he belonged to a body, if I have this right, that recommended a, an option that the, that the commission said uh, would require a tax increase. Well, no, the commission said that they wanted to increase taxes. Well, they wanted to do this tax re- increase to fund more public transit. Mm-hmm. And so then they... 
Oh, I see. Commissioned this group oh, of volunteers, oh, one of which was I Everett. See. And so now voters can look at that plan that this group of volunteers I came see. up with okay. to see if they. But feel either like way, there was going to be a tax increase. Well, maybe I mean, if the voters if the voters yeah, want I mean, it. I yeah. mean, on, on um, the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's about 695 something registered voters in <laughs> in Wake County. So, mm. Um, mm. so then we also found found out we looked into it and uh, Chris Malone was also one of uh, he, he voted for the uh, big tax changes reforms back in 2013 uh, that you know were led by the Republican legislature that actually got rid of the tax-free weekend uh, for back-to-school shopping um, so you know here he is with Mailer accusing his opponent of raising taxes on school supplies which never happened and yet he also personally voted for a bill that got rid of the tax-free shopping weekend. Yeah, I think the, the sense I'm getting from seeing all the, the mailers and attack ads back and forth is basically if you served, um, I mean, in this case, this is a guy who didn't serve, but for those who did serve in some sort of point in the legislature, um, if they were a Democrat, they could be accused of raising taxes, I guess, back in the, the uh, early 2000s when the Dems were in charge and there were some uh, measures that passed the full legislature that, that did increase either sales taxes or income, I forget exactly which. And if you're a Republican running and you've been in the legislature while the Republicans were in charge, then there's uh, these issues of expanded sales tax, the lack of the, uh, the elimination of the sales tax-free uh, weekend for back to school. Those folks are getting attacked for, for raising taxes. So really, exactly. everyone, everyone, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. everyone is uh, it's open season on everybody who's a politician and may have raised taxes at some point in the past. Yeah, the very unfortunate uh, reality of politics is that governments require taxes to work. Yeah, um, if you're in long enough, odds are that there may be a tax increase that you might have some role in at some point. Yeah. Or if you're Roy Cooper, taxes that you might vote for because that's what they're really sticking him with. Oh, that's that right. Yeah, the idea that I guess it was, yeah. it was all based on the debate where he was asked. Yeah. Uh, would he raise taxes? Debates, actually. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's come on both debates. He has said that he wants to increase teacher, you know, education funding, free community college tuition, that kind of thing. So the question comes up, how are you going to pay for that? And he's had, he has a position paper that I won't try to explain, but he just says you can rearrange priorities and do it that way. But, the, you know, the sticking point for McCrory is, uh, it, I mean, the, his strategy is to just hit him with the, fact that he's you know going to raise taxes he's he, he must raise taxes and i guess mccrory is probably it hasn't been that big of an issue in this race but i've, I've heard the critique of mccrory supposedly raising taxes based on the expansion of the sales tax of course that's offset right. by the income tax cuts that mccrory was supporting at the same time but right. yeah that's something i think we might have talked about it a week or two ago that was a, a previous fact check from one of the debates uh, we gave cooper half true on that one for hitting mccrory for raising taxes on the middle class because you know, he cut the income tax rate. Yeah. But. So all taxes all the time in this year's election <laughs> right. uh, when we're not talking about sexual Obama. assault and various other fun things. Obama, um, Obamacare. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, while we're on yeah. the governor's race, Craig, you've been looking at some of the uh, fundraising aspects of that. What, what are you finding out? Well, it's just, uh, you know, kind of what we expected. There, Cooper is still outraising McCrory about two to one. All these outside groups are uh, <clears throat> spending a lot of money on ads. It's still about a two to one or better ratio on, on advertising. Um, I was just taking a look at who's supporting who, and that's, you know, like I said, not all that unexpected. The supporting Cooper are environmental interests. Supporting both candidates are HB2 interests on both sides of that. Uh, Cooper's got trial attorneys. He's got union money. You know, he's out 
raising money from the boogeymen of the left, you know, the George Soros and and people like that. Um, McCrory's donors tend to be more uh, people who have done business in the state, would like to do business in the state. Um, Duke Energy, banking interest, real estate interests. There's a very uh, active family, the Bellissimo family from Florida, that is uh, involved in a, a, a equestrian center in Polk County. And they've been major contributors. Like six members of that family have maxed out a couple, both times in this cycle now. There's, wow. They've spent from whatever it is up to Horses 40, are big 000. business, I guess. I don't know. Apparently so. And uh, actually, that's where Sharon Decker, the uh, former commerce? Commerce secretary, commerce yeah. Commerce secretary. That's where she went to work. She works oh, okay. for them now. So hmm. there's a lot of interesting little <laughs> activity around that, around that project. Huh. Wow. And do we get um, – I guess we haven't seen them yet, but are, are there going to be some updated yeah, campaign two, fundraising Monday, numbers? Monday or Tuesday that are they're coming out. Uh, so I don't think things will change a whole lot in terms of who is spending the money, but the amounts will. And it will be interesting to see if Cooper keeps that edge going. But you've probably seen a lot more TV ads on Cooper than McCrory, I mean, at least according to the money so far. Yeah, because that's the thing is we, we, you know, we focus sometimes on how much each of the campaigns are raising. But in a sense, it's actually not all that relevant because right. you've got so many outside groups that are spending money. And often those amounts uh, dwarf what the actual candidates are raising for their own campaigns. I'm seeing right. that on the Senate race a lot. Yeah. Um, you've got these outside groups that are spending 10, 15 million in some cases. Mm-hmm. And then fundraising totals in sort of the low millions um, so you can sort of look at that, and I've seen, like, the Deborah Ross folks have, have really pointed to, I think she just wrapped up her uh, third quarter spend or fundraising and uh, beat out Richard Burr for, I think, the third period in a row um, in terms of the amount she'd raised during that period. But at the same time, Burr still has more cash on hand because mm-hmm. he's got the benefits of incumbency and the fact that he'd been raising money for longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of their numbers are seriously dwarfed by – uh, these big national groups that are, are spending big on, on ads. And I think most people who are watching TV are not necessarily looking at the uh, disclaimers at the end of the ads that say which group is responsible. They're saying, okay, that's an attack ad on Burr, must yeah. be Ross, or vice versa. Yeah. And it's a full-time job trying to sort out who these groups are. I mean, yeah. you start looking at it, a, a better NC, NC families first, North Carolina citizens for protecting our schools. I mean, they all start intertwining, and yeah. money comes from Well, because <coughs> they all have different governors. tax statuses. So some of them, right. uh, based on the way they're set up, <clears throat> can take unlimited donations and not disclose who the donors are. Right. Those groups often will then donate money as an entity to a different group right. that does have to disclose their donors, but they just have to disclose that it came from this other group. That's right. It's the basic um, super PAC structure. You've got yeah. a, you've got a you've got the money source and you've got a nonprofit in the middle that doesn't have to disclose don- donors and they give that money to super PACs who can raise uh, and spend unlimited amounts of money. Yeah, and we're seeing that a lot in the judicial races, which is uh, one that uh, hasn't gotten that much attention, but it's uh, the, the NC Supreme Court race is, is pretty important because uh, the Democrats would really like to unseat uh, Justice Bob Edmonds, who is a Republican uh, for a lot of things where uh, state laws that get challenged in court go through the su- state Supreme Court, which uh, I think has a slight edge to, to Republicans currently. That would change uh, pretty dramatically if Edmonds lost to Mike Morgan, the guy that the Democrats are backing. So we're seeing 
seeing a lot more ads in that race, um, and most of those are not coming from the campaigns. We had the one, I guess it was last week, that was getting attacked as a race-baiting ad. It was uh, a group that was uh, opposing Edmonds uh, for having upheld the uh, congressional districts that were later ruled to be a ger- racial gerrymander. This week we see the, uh, the positive pro-Edmonds ad that was from a group that was uh, I think called something like Fair Judges, just set up in the last month. I spent a couple hours um, on public record sites trying to figure out who these people were, and all I could tell was that the one person whose name shows up on public records, uh, an Amy Ellis, who's listed as the treasurer, was also the treasurer for a group, similar group four years ago that was running corny pro-judge uh, uh, um, Paul Newby ads. That was the, the infamous banjo ad where you had the, the guy strumming his banjo and singing about how Paul Newby's a fair judge or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this ad, equally corny this year in, in favor of uh, Justice Edmonds. Um, it's, uh, it features sort of a doo-wop barbershop quartet style song okay. that repeats his name over and over again, um, includes uh, images of people. I guess the idea is that he's clean, he's running... Uh, his campaign is not negative, or, or, or that his his judicial prowess is is clean and fair. Um, so it's people washing things, washing their dog, washing their clothes, <laughs> brushing their teeth as they're singing yeah. about uh, Bob, 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 Bob Edmonds or whatever. Oh, so it, it seems like the idea is to to get his name stuck in your head, and perhaps if you see the ad more than three or four times, uh, you will slowly be driven insane. And when you vote, that will all be the only thing in your brain is his name, and then you'll vote for him. Uh, but that was a group where I really could not find much about who is funding it. Um, They haven't listed any um, of their contributions as of yet. They'll eventually have to disclose something. I don't know how much detail we'll we'll get when they do. Uh, But as of now, it's just a a group with one contact person uh, who did not return my calls um, and an address that turns out to be a mailbox inside a UPS store somewhere in North Raleigh. Um, So incredibly transparent, uh, this group that's uh, spending. But it looks like it was a fairly big, at least six-figure ad buy, possibly more, um, for this uh, pro-Bob Edmonds ad. So that's... uh, Sadly, maybe the president for the future of corny ads for a very serious seat in, in state yeah, government. It, it, cause yeah, because we got this four years ago, and it, it seems like the goal, because the problem is it, you have a hard time uh, cutting through the noise for a judicial race. As important as these yeah. are, yeah. people aren't thinking about, uh, God, I need to go vote against jo- Bob Edmonds, or I need to go vote to make sure he gets another term. Um, so the hope is sort of get get your name in, in with some of these uh, low-information voters and, and win that way as opposed to uh, really having a big debate about, um, you know, which judge is the, the better choice for that office. And uh, Paul Newby, back a couple of years ago, it, it said as much. He said he, he knew people didn't know who he was. What, there was no name and recognition. So you, you put out this utterly ridiculous ad, and it truly was. I haven't seen the Bob Bob Edmonds. I yeah. don't want that stuck in my head. Yeah, it was <laughs> but, bad. I, job but, hazard was having that stuck yeah. in my head, and I don't really wish that on anybody. But the banjo ad was really high corn. We'll, but, we'll I mean, see. I doubt most Americans could even name one member of the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, so... You know, if you're a, a candidate for a state Supreme Court, you know, you, you've got to do something to. Yeah, well, and those are the high profile judicial seats. I mean, if you look at your, your sample ballot that you're going to have to fill out if you go vote, 
there's four or five um, NC Court of Appeals justices. I, I was looking at today. There, yeah, there's like 20 judges. And then there's the, the uh, Superior Court judges that are in each county, and I think some District Court judges as well. Um, and it's really hard. I mean, I, I started researching them because I, I really do try to do my homework when I vote um, and, and figure out who all these people are and, and who has the better resumes or whatever. But you're often relying purely on their websites uh, for this sort of information, and it's and they're usually sort of uh, thin websites because these are people who aren't you know running high dollar campaigns. They don't have a lot of people to put information out on their behalf. Um, so even if you're you're trying to do your best and make an informed choice, the you know, there's not a whole lot of, uh, to go on on these uh, judicial seats, and uh, some of them are partisan, some of them are nonpartisan. I think the, the parties tend to back candidates in most of the races, so I think a lot of people probably just go with uh, whatever party they affiliate with and, and what uh, candidates that party is recommending. But if, you're, if you try not to be partisan um, in your, your voting and, and want to you know, split your ticket and make informed choices or whatever, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And um, only the, the Supreme Court candidates seem to have the money to, to do corny ads and, and get their names out that way. It's interesting. I, I actually I had the same problem. I didn't really you know, know anything about a lot of the judges. And I found, uh, just doing some Googling today, that the North Carolina Bar Association actually puts together a pretty cool tool for people who are so inclined that they take an anonymous survey of lawyers in the, the districts. It, it, it's not for any of the appellate judges, so you won't see it for the Supreme Court, the appeals court judges. But for but superior for the, and superior district, district, which is, I mean, what most attorneys deal mm-hmm. with these guys on a regular basis. Yeah, and it had like five or six different categories that they asked the, all these attorneys to rate them from one to five. And then it, you know, made a little bar graph and put them side by side. Um, so I was kind of looking, you know, obviously it's pretty unscientific, you know. Sometimes there would be, you know, 300 votes sometimes it'd be like 40 yeah. <laughs> so, but you know you can at least kind of get a sense of you know what what you know the local the lo- local attorneys think of you know their fellow attorneys or the judges well and there's some interesting but, ones in this because the judge we talked about last week in the the bud light case uh, <laughs> uh where he had, uh, was was i guess was it convicted of uh mm-hmm. bribing he's several, still yeah several different he's felonies. still on the ballot i guess in wayne county the judicial district you you will have the option to Reelect this guy, um, yeah, and I he suspect won't have the option to vote for himself. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, felons can't vote, so there's that. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> to, to to jump subjects completely before we go down the um, rabbit hole that that is discussing Bud Light. Um, Craig, you were looking in today the calls for a special session, uh, which I guess would, would occur sometime after the election, but uh, to deal with some of the Hurricane Matthew stuff. What's, what's the latest on that? Yeah, it seemed like the governor had been uh, not committed to having to call a special session to, to deal with funding matters. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, he's been pretty heavily touring the different, uh, de- uh, you know, the most destruction around the state. Uh, but apparently he's gotten the word that... Uh, that it's going to take a lot of money to fix things now. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed now. I mean, this isn't just drain the water and, you know, shake out the rug. Things have to be rebuilt. It's it's really uh, pretty extensive. So there's, a, you know, some kind of, I think it's typically a 75-25 federal state match. Something like that will be worked out. But they have to work it out and they have to figure out who's going to pay what and how soon that money will be available and how soon the state might have to act uh, before federal money shows up. So the legislature is supposed to come back in uh, session anyway in January, but they're thinking they might need to move quicker, uh, both for some kind of funding legislation 
as well as there's some schools that have just been totally left rendered useless, and uh, there's no way they can uh, re recover those lost days and match the kind of federally mandated. Uh, I think uh, Robinson County hours. hadn't even gone back yet, and it's been That's several weeks. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. So those are two things that, that re would require some legislative action, and legis uh, legislative leaders are, uh, you know, receptive. They're optimistic for it. Yeah, and this was an interesting one, because we had a couple weeks ago, right after the storm, a number of Democrats were calling for a special session. Yeah, it wasn't a good idea then. Yeah, then no, the Republicans were sort of saying, well, we don't, you know, we'll, we'll do one if we need one, but we're not there yet. Um, right. They're there now, so... Sounds like it's moving forward. We expect to hear some specifics next week. Yeah, and I guess if you do it after the election, you you lose some of the at least some of the partisanship. You don't right. lose all of it, but in terms of uh, trying to grandstand as being the the party that's most in support of storm victims right. uh, after the election, there'll be a little bit less incentive to do that and more right. to to come together behind whatever plan is is needed to right. address the problems. Yeah, and I think they'll come together, but they can't. They don't want to cut into the final week of campaigning either. So yeah, there, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, I guess while we're on the, the money topic, uh, we got some more uh, discussion this week about the money involved, uh, economic losses with HB2. There was another company of some sort that I guess had decided they were going to not come to North Carolina despite a fairly uh, generous incentive package um, as a result of uh, HB2 and, and their opposition to the law. Um, Will, you did a fact check this week on John Scavarla's claim about the overall economic impact of HB2. Talk a little about that. I did, yeah. Those both happened on the same day, actually, um, on Monday. Um, uh, Secretary Scavarla was speaking in Charlotte and said that, uh, you know, HB2 has not moved the needle one iota on the state's economy. How do you, uh, quantify an iota? Excellent question. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I know it's an expression, but I don't know the, even what. According the... <laughs> to Merriam-Webster dictionary, it is an infinitesimal amount. Okay. So basically, something just slightly more than zero, just you know, like an atom yeah. of. <laughs> so basically, a very very small amount. So um, I said, well, that's a pretty high bar to pass. Um, so we started looking into his claims about that, and um, he he does have a bit of a point. If you look at it, um, you know it it's hard to tell exactly how much um, HB two has cost the state so far. But some people have said that you know it could be in the hundreds of millions, maybe even above five hundred million. Um, I think at this point that's probably reasonable. We had a fact check six months ago that said that wasn't really the case at the time, but. Since then, you know, we've had the NBA pull out, we've had the NCAA pull out, we've had more business pull out. So. Yeah, it's hard to get a handle on everything just because there's so many different organizations and there's different ways you could uh, quantify their economic impact, direct spending versus the multipliers people exactly. often use. Yeah, you know, there's all sorts of economic tricks to, you know, Because a lot of times the, yeah, the people like yeah. to say, you know, this company is going to bring this amount of impact because one will bring in this many employees and they're going to spend X amount and the people that they spend the money with are going to go spend some money. and Right. And um, the employees are going to get better salaries so they can buy houses and that's going to help the construction industry. And, yeah. yeah. So when you try to tally this up and, and some of these are, you know, big marquee departures or losses, some of them are, are much smaller and, and make fewer headlines. But uh, yeah. Anyways, though, um, so we looked at it and if you, if you assume just for the sake of argument that, you know, the state has lost 500 million, which is probably on the, the high side of an estimate, that's still only 0.1% of the state's total economic output. Um, the, 
the GDP or the, I guess technically the GSP, the gross state product, is over $500 billion annually. So it is, you know, obviously it's not nothing, uh, you know, but it is a small amount. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't move the charts too much. Um, same with the jobs. You know, there have been hundreds, maybe even thousands of jobs lost because of HB2. Um, but again, we, we are a large enough state that that's not going to really, you know, if, if those jobs had come, that wouldn't have changed the unemployment rate very much. So you can kind of see what Scafarlo was getting at, but, you know, to, to claim like he did that it hasn't hurt it at all, that everything is, you know, fine and dandy and rosy, uh, you know, that's, that's a little specious. And um, actually, to your point on the, uh, the multipliers, um, when I asked uh, his office, you know, to, to explain their marks, they said, well, you know, there have been, I think they said, 20 different companies that have announced new jobs in North Carolina since then. And they said just one project, uh, the CSX train hub uh, that's going to Rocky Mount, uh, was more than triple what PayPal was. Huh, I thought that was interesting. So I looked at it, and um, obviously PayPal was 400 jobs, as people probably know. I looked at it, the CSX hub was not triple. It was actually only 150 jobs that they're bringing. But the company said, uh, you know, that they think that that's going to create another 1,500 jobs, which appears that they just took their number and multiplied it by 10. Um, I mean, maybe there was more math <laughs> that went into that. <laughs> but the, uh, the interesting thing is it, it, it seems to me it's kind of a straw man argument. I mean, nobody ever said that the protests were going to bring the state to its knees. It was just that it was to get somebody to get the attention and to bring some bad publicity on the state. And so measured that way, uh, you know, we bought a whole lot of bad publicity. Exactly, exactly. Well, and even, even in, you know, more concrete terms, you know, the, the PayPal and the Deutsche Bank losses in Charlotte and Cary, they combined, you know, those jobs, it was 650 jobs total. They would have had an annual payroll of almost 42 million. So, you know, I'm sure... Charlotte and Cary residents would have liked to have some of that money. And yeah, and you can argue <laughs> these are offset by other job announcements, but most of those other job announcements, I think, are coming here regardless. So right, no HB2 one has said they're had, coming here because of Well, the, the Pentecostal <laughs> convention to Charlotte, I think, oh, was the one instance where me. someone said, uh, we're coming here because we really love HB2. But Oh, Will, weren't you talking about the editorial in the Virginia newspaper today that <laughs> that that endorsed we, Governor McCrory? We we saw that, yeah, I think uh, I think we all saw that, the, um, the, the Roanoke Times, I believe it was, um, they they kind of mockingly endorsed uh, Governor McCrory because they said if he gets reelected, it'll be great for uh, Virginia's economy. Um, because obviously, like like you led the section off, column the uh, the one uh, it was a large real estate analytics company. It brought seven hundred and thirty jobs uh, to Richmond. And yeah, they're going to Richmond, Virginia, and then even locally for these Roanoke folks. Uh, one of the a couple, actually, I think, of the NCAA. Uh, sporting championship events uh, that moved out of state moved to Salem, Virginia, which is right outside of Roanoke. So those people are, are happy about that to to get some more sports uh, there that otherwise would have been here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think I saw the, that editorial being trumpeted by the Roy Cooper campaign is, look, uh, Pat McCrory got his first editorial page endorsement since uh, a lot of the, the North Carolina editorial boards have, have been going with Cooper, but he gets it from the uh, tongue-in-cheek folks at the, the Roanoke Times. Yeah, but anyways, to wrap it up... Uh we gave we gave that claim about HP two in the economy a uh, a mostly false because you know it yeah like like you said Craig it didn't bring the state economy to its knees we're not we're not crippled because of this but 
to to suggest that you know had no impact at all is you know pretty untrue so all right thanks will and craig i will wrap up that segment and we'll be back in just a moment for headliners of the week Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. And welcome back to Domecast. It is indeed time for Headliners of the Week, everybody's favorite segment, where we ask our panelists to uh, lobby for their pick for the biggest newsmaker headliner of the week. We'll start off with Craig Jarvis. Craig, who's your headliner? Ike Tillis. Ike Tillis is a boxer dog belonging to Senator Tom Tillis, who has been somewhat out of the... uh, the uh, fire uh, lately this this campaign cycle. Ike or Tom? <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, sure. Ike keeps a lower profile than, say, Mo McCrory, he, Pat McCrory's That's dog. true. That's true. This may be his introduction. Well, it was just a funny little... He, put, he posted a little video on YouTube of him uh, having a little conversation with kind of a whiny, would you call it? Uh, yeah, the dog? dog just makes this whining sound yeah, you know, uh, kind of whiny. in response to everything. He said, are you, uh, you know, are, are you upset about the deficit? And then, you know, whoa, 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 dog whining. And are you, is, is it ISIS is worrying you? And, you know, more dog moaning. And, uh, you know, you're, you're sure going to vote, aren't you? And he whoa, whoa, whoa. So, um, you know, that was my dog imitation. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go for... Uh, for uh, Tom Tillis's dog, Ike. All right, Ike Tillis. Uh, named, named after Dwight named, yeah. D. Eisenhower. Yep, uh, always, always a good politician thing to, to name your dog after one of your, uh, I guess, political heroes in history. Uh, so Ike Tillis is in the hat for his uh, commentary on the state of the election uh, and his, his willingness to vote in this election, which, as I, I noted in the article, uh, I believe Ike is only 10 as opposed to 18, Ooh, and there's the whole uh, issue of not being human as far as his ability to vote. Dog, uh, dog years, though. Well, yeah, that's true. If yeah. it's in dog years, maybe he is eligible. I don't know. I'd, uh, definitely uh, keep an eye out for Ike Tillis on the Mecklenburg County voter rolls if there's uh, any any problems later. Uh, so we'll go next to, uh, to Will Doran. Will, who's your uh, headliner of the week? Um, my headliner on a little bit more serious note is C.J. Carey. He is a Nash County resident uh, who is a big Donald Trump supporter, drove over to Duplin County uh, to see the Donald when he was talking there earlier this week. Um, Mr. Carey is black and I believe an army veteran and uh, he had a, a letter that he wanted to, to give to Donald Trump um, exhorting him to, to be a little bit nicer to minorities and to women etc um, and so during the rally he went up and he kind of caused a commotion trying to get his attention during the speech which probably I'm sure Mr. Carey would admit was not the best strategic decision. Um, yeah, yelling at Donald Trump is probably in the middle of his rallies is probably not ideal. Right. Um, no matter the color of your skin. Um, but uh, Mr. Trump uh, decided that he was probably just a, uh, a protester instead. And so um, from the stage, he called him a thug and ordered security to take him out. He also um, questioned whether he'd been paid by like Hillary Clinton or somebody to to go and protest at this. Yeah, yeah. Um, he suggested that he had been paid $1,500 to, to come protest, which I guess is the market rate for... <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, I'd do that for $1,500, but... <laughs> but um, it that story gained some traction, obviously, because, uh, you know, various incidents in the past few years have kind of highlighted the racial undertones of the word thug um and yeah a lot of people argue that it's it's sort of a 
modern version of a, a slur that may have been used in the past. Yeah, yeah, I, I think probably a lot of people argue that. And so a lot of people kind of saw this as, you know, just, you know, Trump seeing a black person, automatically calling him a thug, dismissing him. Um, you know, on the other hand, you have this person here who's waving his arms and yelling and, you know, Trump's telling him to get out of the rally. So, you know, I think probably depending on your worldview, you'll see the incident in two separate ways. Um, but uh, certainly made the news. And uh, now his, for better or worse, people know about his letter. <laughs> that yeah, he wanted to see if, if Trump issues a response to his letter or gets a chance to read it or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, it would be interesting to see, too, if he this gentleman continues to be a Trump supporter, if this has left him disillusioned at all with his, his candidate of choice. But Well, and this actually, this is not Mr. Kerry's first time in the headlines. He made the news, I don't know, a few weeks or months ago um, in the local Rocky Mountain paper, he had something like 40 signs all for Trump in his yard uh, that were stolen by, you know, local mean people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> who, your, who did your, not your like standard fine sign theft story that we, we often get this time of year. I think every campaign has made the argument that their opponents are stealing their signs, and I'm sure there are lots of instances of that that people vent their election rage by ripping up somebody's sign. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen a yard with 40 signs in it for any Yeah, that would, any that would be a lot. But but I don't, maybe I just don't go to the right neighborhoods. Yeah, um, not that many in my neighborhood this I, year. But Is there like a tour of homes, kind of parade of homes that you can go yeah, and see? Or the, like, you know, <laughs> there's certain neighborhoods that go real all out for Halloween. Maybe there's some neighborhoods that go all out for the election and <laughs> every house is festooned with like 50 different yard signs for various candidates. Yeah. Which is more scary. Yeah, I, I would find that... <laughs> That would beat out the the Oakwood Halloween house for yeah. me as a as a scary Halloween thing. Maybe that's what I should do to my house. Is just put as many campaign things on it as I possibly you should can. Should really confuse people, you know? Just put all the different candidates yeah, up. Yeah, it's like why know. does this guy have Trump and Hillary, McCurry and Cooper? Is he is <laughs> advertising his role as an undecided voter? <laughs> Quite. Anyway. But anyways, tangent aside, uh, C J Carey for my all right. C J Carey. The uh, Trump supporter who was mistaken for a protester in Kinston this week in the hat opposite Ike Tillis, the dog of Tom Tillis, who has opinions about the election. Uh, hard, tough choice here, but uh, given the, uh, the the darkness of, of this election, I'm going to go for the uh, uh, slightly happier choice um, and, and something that uh, gave me a good laugh today, all politics aside, and, and that's Ike Tillis. So, uh Ike is our headline of the week. Uh, Craig wins it, and uh, hopefully if we can find the clip, uh, we might uh, go out of this week's podcast with a, a snippet of, uh, of that interview between uh, Tom Tillis and, and his dog, Ike. So that's it for Domecast this week. I'm Colin Campbell I'm here with Craig Jarvis and Will Doran, and uh, we will talk to you next week for our final episode before the big election. Stay with us. Uh, talk to you next week. Why are you worried? <laughs> Are you worried about Hillary Clinton? Clinton? Really? What about Obamacare? Yep. What about ISIS? Huh? Are you worried about the deficit? The deficit? Does it bother you as much as it bothers me? Are you going to vote? You gotta vote. You have to vote. Yes. You have to vote. You gonna vote? You promise me you'll vote. You promise me you'll vote. All right, buddy. I'm counting on you. Vote.
You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.